14, if you're using the black Bibles there um, from the church, that can be found on page 966. Today we conclude a brief series of sermons that have been focusing on our commitments as members of Abounding Grace Church. Uh, I say conclude next week, Lord willing, we will jump back into our study through the Gospel of Matthew with Matthew chapter 13. But we've taken this time just to refocus, and uh, these last three weeks we've considered the following commitments. Number one, that we should gather to worship, gather together to worship the triune God. Number two, that we should encourage one another with the truth in love. And then last week we, we saw that we should grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So today, I want to draw our attention to a fourth commitment, and that is tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, and this is certainly a convicting area for myself, and I, I imagine it is for many. It's, I, I believe it is an area that we need to, to grow in as a church. Of course, we are to be witnesses of Christ through our Really, it ties into what we've been talking about already, right? We're to be witnesses of Christ through our worship of God, through our commitment to following Jesus, through our, our love and for one another and the way we encourage one another. Jesus said, they'll know you're my um, disciples by your love, right? And those, and those are important ways of witness, but we are also to speak, right? As a matter of fact, those other things, our worship, our commitment, our love, those should actually lead to opportunities to speak, right? Isn't that what 1 Peter three fifteen talks about? Like, um, uh, be, be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, right? As people see you following Christ, as they see you not overcome with anxiety because of the things of this, the, the world and the politics and all that, as they see you just trusting in the Lord and following him and committing your life to him, that should give you opportunities to speak for him. And so today I want to focus on that aspect that we are to tell, we're to use our mouths and speak the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we see that truth taught today in, in our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. So I invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please follow along as I begin reading in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll just finish off the paragraph here. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Amen. 
Thanks be to God for his word. May he now add his blessing to the preaching of his word. Please be seated. Well, verse 17 of our text this morning says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in Christ, we are new creations. When God saves us, he gives us new life. And he begins growing us into the image of Christ. God begins a process of transforming us from the inside out And this should produce notable change in our lives, right? I mean, wouldn't you agree if a person is a new creation, there should be some noticeable change in their life, right? And so today I want to highlight um, three um, areas where God is changing us through uh, the gospel. Three areas Uh, where God changes us as new creations in Christ, okay? So if you're taking notes, that's kind of the the outline today. Three areas where God changes us as new creations in Christ, okay? Number one, a new passion. A new passion. God gives us now a new passion, and that passion is to live for Christ. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So as Paul considered the amazing love of Christ, right? That's what he says, for the love of Christ controls us. So Paul, I mean, you know he was just constantly meditating on the love of Christ, proclaiming the love of Christ. And as he considered this amazing love that Jesus has shown sinners like us, how he being the eternal son of God left heaven to rescue us. And and though he was God himself, he humbled himself and and became a man and lived an obedient life under the law. And though he was sinless, he willingly suffered and died on the cross in order to pay for our sins and secure our salvation. As Paul considered this good news, as Paul considered this deep, deep love of Jesus, he says it controlled him. It changed him. It, It revolutionized his life. The love of Christ caused Paul to stop living for himself and instead gave him a passion to live for Christ. And you say, well, yeah, of course, Paul was an apostle. I mean, he was, he was personally, uh, personally commissioned, right, to do that. But notice, this experience is not unique to Paul. He said in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. Talking about his, his partners in ministry, but, but even more broadly, all believers All believers are given this new passion of living for Christ. For the love of Christ controls us, verse 14. Why? Because we have concluded this. God has shown us this amazing truth that one has died for all. That's Christ, right? And therefore, all have died. All who are in Christ have died. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, let's back up and say, who are we before Christ? Who are we apart from Christ? Well, apart from Christ, we're all about living for ourselves, aren't we? I mean, that's really the essence of, of sin. It's a, it's a selfishness. It's a self-worship. It's, it's, being, it, it's where you, the, the world and everybody in it just revolves around you. Or at least that's how you think, right? 
That's how we are apart from, from Christ. But when God saves us through Jesus Christ, he, again, makes us into a new creation. And the Bible explains that at salvation, a spiritual death and resurrection takes place. And that's what this verse 14 is talking about. That when God saves you, there's a spiritual death and resurrection that takes place in, in you, personally. Through faith, we are united to Christ's death and resurrection. Romans 6 explains this. And so our old self, our old nature that was enslaved to sin, and that was all about living to please ourselves, that old self has died with Christ. And now a new self, a new self with the indwelling Holy Spirit, a new self with a heart that wants to live for Jesus, has been raised with Christ. And so we are new creations. We've been given new life in Christ. Verse 15 says that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. For Christ who died and rose again for our salvation. And so you see, now as believers in Christ, as new creations, our passion should be to live for Christ. Our passion should be to bring glory to our Lord who defeated sin and death for us. To exalt our Savior who rescued us from the wrath of God that we deserved. To to give honor and praise to our King who reigns now forever and ever. That should be our passion now as Christians. But you may be sitting there and, and you may be saying, yeah, I understand, but I, I have to admit, I'm not very passionate about living for Christ, right? There's times, but, or maybe I used to be, but if I'm being honest, I'd have to say that passion has, has dwindled. That passion for living for Christ has faded, right? And that may be true of, of many of us today. But let me, let me encourage you. What should you do? Well, you should look again to the love of Christ, Right? Remember, it's the love of Christ that controls us. It's the love of Christ that, that transforms us and gives us this passion. And so at it, our call then is to meditate daily on that love of Christ, to, to preach the gospel to ourselves, to think about the amazing grace that we've been shown because it's Christ's love that controls us. It's Christ's love that, that transforms us from the inside out and moves us to action. That's what that word control means. It means a, a force on you that, that moves you to action. And so you want a passion to live for Christ? Meditate on the love of Christ. Be reminded of who he is and what he's done for you. And so that's point number one. When God saves us, he gives us a new passion to live for Christ. Secondly, then, we have a new point of view. A new point of view. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. And he's going to say that again. You say, what does that mean? Well, that means like from a worldly standpoint. Uh, we don't look, we're no longer regarding Christ and others the way we used to before God saved us. Okay, that's what it means when it says according to the flesh. So let's start over, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So the gospel had transformed how Paul viewed Jesus, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it, as you read the account of Saul's life, right? I mean, at one time, Saul, or Paul, right, thought that Jesus was a false messiah, right? And he thought that everybody that followed Jesus were were heretics, right, who needed to be thrown in jail or worse. But now that Paul had new life in Christ, 
he realized Jesus is not just another phony. Jesus is not just another false messiah. No, he is the real deal. God had opened Paul's eyes to see that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the son of God who had come to earth to save his people from their sins and establish his kingdom. In other words, he was, in fact, the promised Messiah. God had opened Paul's eyes to see that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And that changed Paul's life, right? I mean, that truth, that reality, that fact of who Jesus is, that changed Paul's life. And so now he couldn't help but proclaim that news. He couldn't help but proclaim that reality to proclaim the gospel. Paul loved Jesus so much that he wanted Christ to be glorified, right? When he sees people not following Christ, when he sees people uh, uh, turning their back on the Savior, he's, he wants them to know, no, Jesus has come. Jesus is Lord. Turn from your sins and follow him. He is king. And that same change, loved ones, has happened to all of us. All of us who are in Christ, the same thing has happened to us. God has opened our eyes He's given us new hearts. He's removed the blindness to see with the eyes of faith who Jesus is. And so Paul says in verse 16, we no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. Again, according to worldly standards. So think about your testimony. Maybe you used to be kind of indifferent to Jesus or had an inadequate view of Christ. Like, okay, yeah, he died on the cross, but I don't really understand what all that's about. Or, or perhaps you were even hostile to Christ, offended by, by Jesus. But now God's sovereign grace has given you eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. Right, that he is Lord and Savior. That he is the supreme demonstration of God's love. That he is the conqueror of sin and death. That he is the risen and exalted Lord of all creation. And so that that reality changes us. It's like it controls us. It, It moves us to where we want to tell others about Jesus. We want to herald this good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. That yes, all this evil that you're dealing with, all this sin that you see both with, without and within, Christ has conquered that. There's an answer to that. Things are not just going to continue and, and go this way forever. That Jesus is Lord. And he's defeated sin and death. And he's coming again to rid this world of sin and death forever. That he's making all things new. He's going to come and he's going to judge the world. And he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And we can reign with him, all who are united with him in faith. So we want to herald that good news. But notice in verse 16, God changes not only how we view Jesus, but guess what else about our point of view changes? Do you see it there in verse 16? He changes how we view others as well. From now on, verse 16, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So it's not just Jesus. He's saying now we don't even look at anybody else the same way. No longer do we view people with indifference or even disdain. No, now we look on them with love. And specifically, we realize now that every person we encounter is a soul who needs to be reconciled to their creator. 
Every person we encounter, if, if they're apart from Christ, right, is someone who needs to be reconciled to their creator. So God has given us new life in Christ, and now this controlling influence of our lives is love for God, desire to see Jesus glorified, and love for others. And so this is, this is encouraging. I'm, I just want to remind you of who we are in Christ. That every person who God saves, we have not only personally experienced the love of Christ, but we've also been given the love of Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 5, 5 says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Because in case you were sitting there thinking, yeah, I should love others, but why do I just not care, right? Why don't I love others? Well, it's not because you haven't been given the resources, right? God's love has been poured into your hearts. You have the Holy Spirit, and so now you can truly love others. Again, like I mentioned last week, we're really, even though this is a message reminding us to tell others about Jesus, ultimately, we don't need to be, we shouldn't need to be guilted into that, right? It's just as we, as we abide in Christ and his love just fills our hearts, we're just going to want to overflow and tell others about Jesus, right? And so what is this, let's get a little more specific. What does this look like to now no longer view people according to the flesh? Like I said, you see them as people who need to be reconciled to God, But think about it, now you're looking at them with the eyes of Christ, right? How did Jesus look at people? And so God is changing us to see the lost like Jesus did, to have compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. To see that immoral person as someone who is enslaved by the power of sin, right? That's why they act the way they do. That's why they they look and do the things they do. It's because they're enslaved, By the power of sin. Now to realize that our unsaved neighbors are ensnared by the pleasures of this fallen world. According to the schemes, the evil schemes of the devil. Right? Why do people just constantly run after all the things of this world? And why are they so consumed, right? And with with comforts and pleasures. Because that's... That's Satan's devices, right? He's, he's the prince of the power of this air right now. And that's what he does here in, in the West especially, right? Is just leads people along like the Pied Piper through materialism, through, through indulgence, keeping them blinded. And so now we look at our neighbors and we, we, have, we have pity on them. And we say, man, they need to be rescued They need to realize they're on the broad path that leads to destruction. They need to realize they're being duped into thinking that the things of this world is what really matters when in reality, those things are fading away. Now we see prideful, self-righteous people as as they really are. They're they're people who are blinded by the evil one to their own spiritual poverty. That's what Paul says in in the chapter right before this. 2 Corinthians 4. That Satan has blinded the hearts of the unbelievers. Now now we understand that our secular humanist relative is deceived by the father of lies. But again, too often we don't view people with the loving eyes of Christ, do we? 
too often we're simply uh, disgusted or annoyed or even prideful or maybe indifferent toward unbelievers and the way they live. God forgive us. And so my prayer is that God will change, increasingly, continually change our point of view. May we remember, loved ones, that but for the sovereign grace of God, we would be just like the unbelievers that we see around us. Right? Whether it's the, the, the ones trapped in immorality, whether it's the, the, the self-righteous, whether it's the secular humanists, whatever. We would be just like them. We were just like them, but for the grace of God in our lives. And so how is God going to change our point of view? How's God going to give us the eyes of Jesus for unbelievers? Well, again, it's, it's by daily looking to Christ, right? It's as we daily gaze on his beauty, on his love, on his mercy, then we become more like him, right? He, he will increasingly, through his spirit, through his word, give us the eyes of Jesus to see unbelievers with compassion, to see them as sinners who desperately need a savior, just like we were. All right, so that's point number two. As new creations, God gives us, number one, a new passion to live for Christ. And then secondly, a new point of view to see others with compassion, to see others as people who need to be reconciled to their creator. So then thirdly and finally, God gives us a new calling. A new calling. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These verses tell us what what the Bible as a whole tells us, right? That God is graciously reconciling sinners to himself through Jesus Christ. That he is taking those who are rebellious enemies and making peace with them through his son, Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, we have experienced this reconciliation, haven't we? We too once were enemies, but God in his love drew us to himself and and gave us eyes and, and faith to embrace Christ so that our sins are forgiven, we're declared righteous in Christ, we're made at peace with God. And now that God has saved us, what do these verses say? He's made us ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is a messenger. An ambassador is an authorized representative. So we are messengers for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. We've been given his authority, right? Isn't that what Jesus The the risen Christ said at the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, as he's giving the great commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then he goes through the three components uh, of that. 
And then he says, and I will be with you until the end of the age. We go in his power, in his authority, because of who he is and the commission he's placed on our lives. But again, focusing on 2 Corinthians 5, God is making his appeal through us. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) God is reconciling sinners to himself through the finished work of Jesus Christ, and, and we get to be instruments of that. We get to be the mouthpieces of that. We get to be the connection points. All, all, the, all the glory goes to God. He's the one who does the saving. Christ is the one who's accomplished the, the redemption. But we have the privilege of taking that good news, of being that herald, of being that ambassador. We've been called by God to take this message to the world, to our spheres of influence. And what is this message? Well, quite simply, right? You boil it all down like Paul did here. The message is be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that what he says in this passage? That's our message. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's our message as we go out. That's my message here today. In case there's any here today who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Understand that your sin against God has left you separated from him and headed for eternal punishment. But God is a a merciful God and in his great love, he has sent his son Jesus Christ to rescue sinners like you and me. And through, through Christ, though he, Jesus himself, was sinless, he willingly died on the cross bearing the sin and punishment of all who believe. And now through faith in Christ, the punishment that I deserve was paid for by Jesus and the perfect obedience that I need to be with God is given to me from Jesus. That's the gospel. That's how we're reconciled to God, through faith. And so we we take that message, and again, I'm proclaiming that message here today, and we implore people. We, We know this is the truth. And, but we, we know that they need to believe. And so we, we implore them, we urge them, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Don't, don't just walk away and, and say, okay, well, yeah, I've heard that before, or, or that's fine, you, know, you believe that, or whatever. But no, this is the only way to God. And we'll all stand before him someday. But God has provided salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we implore you, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's our message. That's our message. And again, God does the saving, right? We're just the messengers. We're just called to be faithful to take the message. We can't save anybody. We can't change their hearts. We can't argue them into the kingdom. We're just to faithfully take the message. Now we need to do it in love, and there needs to be some urgency, right? This is not just a, okay, I've got to do this because it's my duty, but I don't really care if you respond or not. No, we plead with people because they, we don't look at them according to the flesh anymore. We say they are a soul who's going to spend eternity somewhere. And we want them to be with God in the glories of of his eternal kingdom. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. 
I pray that everyone in this room will be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Not depending on your church attendance, not depending on the fact you grew up in the church or live in a conservative area. No, you're reconciled through Christ alone. That's our message. And now let us prayerfully take this good news of reconciliation to the, to the lost around us. So we have a new passion to live for Christ. We have a new point of view. We see people as sinners who need to be reconciled to Jesus. And so we, we've been given a new calling to proclaim that message, to urge them to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And again, as you think about those things, you might be saying, man, I'm so weak. I, I, I'm, I'm so weak in doing this. I get fearful. I get indifferent. And I urge you, just go to the Lord. Meditate on his, on his love and grace. The gospel is our power, right? Think about the prayers of Paul and how he prays that our eyes would be open to understand how deep and wide and high is the love of Christ so that we will revel in the love of Christ. He, he prays that we would understand that the power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest places, that same power is at work in us, transforming us, giving us these eyes, giving us this compassion and heart and giving us the courage to speak. And so we pray. We preach the gospel to ourselves and we pray. And again, <clears throat> I, I hope the, these four messages on the commitments have been helpful. I think they're, it's important for us to refocus once in a while. My, my one concern in doing them, and I've mentioned it before, I think, is that it'll just you know, kind of become you know, uh, one, one uh, command after another. Do this. Do better at this. Do better at this. Do better at this. Right? And so we bathe it all in the gospel. Okay? We bathe it all in the gospel. Thanks be to God for the gospel. Because, because of the gospel, because of Christ's finished work, our, our sins, our failures to do the very things he's calling us to have been paid for by Jesus Christ. And so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as you sit here today and you say, man, I've been a terrible witness, I've been a terrible ambassador, know that you're forgiven in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. You don't need to wallow in, in self-condemnation, just by God's grace, repent and ask for his help. The gospel is our, is our peace. The gospel is our power. And so we say, Lord, I want to do better. But I need you. I need you. Give me grace. Give me strength. Give me love. Give me courage. So that's where to begin but a couple other practical things if you're wanting to try to get some traction in this area of, of telling others about Jesus, I'd encourage you to make a list of non-Christians that you currently have contact with. Right? Get out and find a notebook, find a prayer journal, whatever. Get, <clears throat> make a list of the Christians that you have contact with and then start praying for them. Begin praying daily for their salvation. Begin praying for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I want to show you one other passage real fast. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Look there with me, please. Colossians chapter 4. I think this is a good model for us as we seek to grow in this area. 
Look at what the Apostle Paul, he was asking prayer for himself. But it's a good model for us. Colossians 4. I'll begin in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See that? Isn't that a beautiful um, way of looking at it, a beautiful way of approaching this, is we pray, we pray, God, give us an open door for the gospel. And we're praying for those people by name. Lord, be working in their hearts. Give me an open door. And, and when you open that door, again, whether that's them commenting on, man, why, why do you have such hope? Or, or, you know, whatever the opportunity is. When you open that door, give me clarity. Give me courage to speak it clearly. And, and give me wisdom in how I, how I live around unbelievers. Help my conversation to be full of grace. Oh God, forgive me for being a complaining person. That doesn't make the gospel attractive. That doesn't open up doors for, for opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Help me to be a, a thankful person. Help, help my conversation to be gracious. And, and give me wisdom. Guide me by your spirit that I... That that I may just be able to, to, to um, speak little, little nuggets of truth, seasoned with salt, even along the way, even when an open door hasn't been thrown wide open, maybe I can just dash a little salt, something that, that speaks of my faith in Christ to the person. I'm not saying that, you know, every time you got to jump in with a five-point gospel outline. I'm not saying that. Give me wisdom. How can my conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt? Help me to point people toward you. Help me to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do, um, for one, just confess, Lord, um, our failures in this area. And Father, I confess that. I confess that as a follower of Christ. I confess that as a pastor, not being a good example of this to the flock um, Father, we, we easily just become inward focused. We easily just get busy um, with, with needs, uh, I guess, within our own families and, and church family, and, and I know those are important. Father, please help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to tell others about Jesus. Lord, we praise you that you are a God who is reconciling people to yourself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we thank you for the privilege of, of proclaiming that. And, and we, we want to see Christ glorified. We know he's glorified as we proclaim the gospel. We leave the results up to you. We, we do care about our unsaved uh, family and friends and co-workers and so, Father, please be merciful to them. Please save them. We know that is your work, but we pray you'll give us open doors to point them to Jesus. May they see Jesus in our lives, and may they hear about Jesus from our words. Please help us, Lord. We know on our own we're weak, but we trust in your power by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? We want to sing.
The last song of praise that I trust um, <clears throat> reminds us of these truths, right? Encourages us to be telling others about Jesus. <clears throat> I don't know if this will be a tough song to do a cappella or not, but, um, but I appreciate you guys uh, bearing with me. Okay, it's on the back there. Let your kingdom come. This is our prayer as we go out and 